a lot of businesses in our industry start with the interior design and think that retail design is about interior design. It isn't. Interior design is just one byproduct of a lot of other thinking. I see our cafes as being like tours. Like each cafe is a new tour. There's a new notion. There's a new stage. I think that's really helped me wrap my head around how I want our brand and our product and all of our touch points to function. I would see all the time, you know, someone would walk up to the retail shelf, I'd walk over to them and say, hey, how can I help you? And they were just struggling with lack of confidence because none of the information on the bags meant anything to the average person. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Brands are everywhere. Chances are, by the time you've had your afternoon coffee, you will have seen dozens and dozens of them. And every coffee shop has its own brand, but it's so much more than just hanging a logo on a door. A cafe brand extends to the flavors in the coffee, to the customer's interaction with the barista, through to the look and feel of the menu. And every good coffee shop operator must ask themselves, what do we stand for? How can we express that brand through everything our customers perceive? So in this episode, we'll speak with Taylor Brown of TaylorMade and Kyle Glanville of Go Get em Tiger to understand what their mission is, how that translates into customer experience, and how they keep their brands on point. But to start with, we speak with Ibrahim Ibrahim, Managing Director of Portland Design, an agency that creates brands and inspiring human spaces. In this conversation, we unpack his framework for ideating and rolling out a successful hospitality brand. Ibrahim is a board member of the UK government's High Street Task Force and an advisory board member for the Centre of London Think Tank. He's worked on an inspiring array of retail projects from major airports to shopping centres internationally. Welcome to Fifth Wave. Delighted to be here with Ibrahim from Portland Design, one of the leading global thinkers on retail branding and strategy. He's also just published a book, Future Ready Retail, and we'll put the details of that into the show notes. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks very much. A coffee shop and a coffee bar, a hospitality business is a place. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you feel the landscape for coffee and hospitality is changing and maybe give us a bit of perspective of, of how it's changed over the last two decades. I think both coffee and many other sectors, the biggest shift is this shift from being a product business into being a story business. And I think it's stories that consumers are turning to whilst products are being increasingly commodified. The, the key differentiator is the stories and the communities that drive those stories. And uh, particularly in hospitality, I think we're we're seeing and we talk about four pillars of change and four pillars of future readiness. The first pillar is fast. And then the second pillar is slow. The third pillar is local. And the fourth pillar is belonging. Um, the first being what we call fast. So development of seamless, frictionless, simple, hyper convenient experiences that are devoid of complexity that respond to our increasingly busy and complex lives. The second pillar that we talk about is 
fast. This is where experiences are developed for participation, for learning, sociability, uh, immersion in story, uh, personalization, all those things that are really about experience. And we're seeing more and more retail and physical retail shifting from transaction to experience. And that is really at the heart of it. The third pillar that we talk about is localism or local. So that's the growth of experiences, brands, places that are locally relevant, that engage with local communities, that are connected to the streetscape, connected to the urban grain, that are um, reach out to local producers, local partners, influencers, and become an integral part of community, whereby the brand really doesn't own itself, but the community own that brand. And fourthly, and very importantly, is belonging. How do we create uh, a brand that has a set of values that people feel a sense of belonging to, whether that's around ethical consumption, whether it's around the purpose of the brand. And this idea of purpose-driven brand really imbues a brand with this sense of belonging in its audience. And when we talk about experience, all those four pillars are driven through three key types of experience. When we design experiences for brands, we focus on how those experiences manifest in three realms. The physical realm, the multi-sensory environment, the physical environment, its physical makeup, its design, its aroma, its sound, the textures, the tactility, all the elements of the physical space and the planning of it. The second is digital. So how do you then overlay the digital engagement on that physical space? How do you develop all the online activity, the kind of apps and the augmented reality and sometimes virtual reality. And the final is the human experience. And we refer to the human experience as a series of rituals and how we create those rituals and we design those rituals to be on brand and the service proposition that those rituals drive. Could you elaborate a little bit more on the third experience, rituals? I see this as being particularly important for a coffee shop operator to get right. When I say we, de- we design rituals, that's what we're really sort of looking at. We're designing those journeys and we use what we call the six E's of ritualization. And we look at them as a kind of series of steps in the journey. So the first E is engagement, which is basically surprise me, stop me in my tracks, arrest me, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whether that's an online social media post, whether it's a storefront, when I'm walking on the street, what I see in the window, whether I'm crossing the threshold, wherever I am, when I encounter your brand, what is the surprise me piece? The piece that stops me in my tracks and makes me want to find out more. The second is education. So once I've now into the brand, into the experience, teach me something new, show me something new. What is new today? What is new this month? That is critical. And then The third E is entertainment. Now you keep me interested. Keep me here. What is next? What are you doing? What is there in this place, in this digital platform that is keeping me engaged? The next is what we call end use. Now show me um, what I can do with this thing. What part does it play in my life? What's the end use of it? You know, is it about understanding the type of coffee? Is it about the different rituals in making coffee? Is it about health food that goes with coffee? Whatever it is, how, how it manifests itself. The fifth E is ease. So now make it convenient. Do you deliver it? Can I buy it with very little friction? Can I pre-order it? And the final one, the sixth one, is exclusivity, i.e. how do you make it personalized? How do you make it for me? How do you make it exclusive? So those six E's of ritualization are, are really important. 
Any examples in the sort of the coffee or hospitality space that you've seen over the years that have got it right? I mean, look, the obvious one is Starbucks. And I know it's an obvious thing to say, but I can demonstrate how they do deliver on those four things. I mean, obviously, the fast is an obvious one. Their automated services, their pre-order, their vending. I mean, the whole bunch of hyper-convenient offers. They're slow with their roastery concept in Milan and in New York and other places now is really the essence of participatory experience. That's about learning, about sociability, about an amazing experience. And it did blow me away when I went to New York. Then you've got the localism where you're seeing locally driven flavors. You're seeing a product that is responding to local events and local celebrations. And of course, they have a whole series of initiatives around ecology, sustainability. You might you might have the point of view, and many people do, that it's all about greenwashing. But nevertheless, as a brand, they do communicate those things. If you were advising a small business just setting up a coffee shop, what piece of advice would you give to this business just when it concerns to building a brand? Um, let, me t- let me answer that question not specifically about coffee at the beginning, and then I'll move on to coffee. Because I think the most important thing nowadays for a brand is about this, as I said, this shift from product to community or product to story. And therefore, we're seeing some really interesting brands evolving whereby they start off as a social network and they express a whole bunch of opinions, they have fantastic content, and they galvanize a social network on a social platform. And from that, their intimate understanding of that group of followers, where they have the data on them, they get a real understanding of what's important to that group of people. And they can develop product from that. And that product is a response to really understanding that social network. And then the product can then further be developed through understanding and listening to that group and trialing products. And it's like a kind of a feedback loop where if the insight feeds back into the product and you develop more product. We call it the circular commerce. It's this circularity of insight and data that feeds back. And you know that's big in cosmetics. Fenty are an obvious one that have developed that. And we've got Birch and many others that become circular commerce brands. So when it comes to specifically a, a, a startup of a coffee shop, of course, the, the product and the connoisseurship of that product is key, and it's the basis of it if you're going to develop a unique coffee offer. You could argue that the product isn't important and the offer is all about convenience and speed and price. That's another argument and that's another positioning. But what I would say is the overriding demand and expectation from consumers everywhere across every sector now is being in control is a real demand. And that ranges from being in control in terms of convenience, in terms of seamlessness, in terms of frictionless shopping or frictionless engagement, being in control in terms of transparency, understanding the brand, where it comes from, what it does, its behavior, all aspects of being in control. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, personalization, the lot. So I think that idea of being in control, you understand what your customer wants and make them feel in control, and that is delivering this hyper-convenience, is really, really key. But also customers want, beyond the product, want to feel part of a community. They want to shape your brand. Think that the holy grail is that when your customer owns your brand, you've achieved the holy grail. 
And if they can feel they own your brand, i.e. they help you shape that brand, you capture the data, you get them involved, they participate, they collaborate with you. They are part of a community that your brand builds. So your brand is at the center of that community. And how do you create that community and feel that community have feels a sense of belonging? I think that's really important. If I was going to open a coffee shop, I would certainly be thinking not of, uh, particularly if I'm going to scale it, not of cookie cutter scaling, but really locally immersed, locally relevant, and feeling that outlet is a unique outlet and a unique experience that is aligned to the locality. And that's key. And beyond everything else, before starting a brand and focusing on the product, focus on the purpose. What is the purpose of this brand? And I don't mean some highfalutin purpose necessarily. It can be about sustainability and saving humanity if you want it to be. But it could also just be about delivering simple, cheap coffee every day to the customer. That's it. That could be your purpose. So as long as you're clear about that purpose, and one thing we do is help clients define that purpose and what we call with brutal clarity. Sometimes we end up in our kind of strategy with what we call one word equity, one word that defines that purpose and galvanizes all your internal team and all your customers. A byproduct of all that is what the interior looks like. A lot of businesses in our industry start with the interior design. I think that retail design is about interior design. It isn't. Interior design is just one byproduct of a lot of other thinking. And Ibrahim, you've just published a book. Tell me about this book, Future Ready Retail. It focuses on the experience across all forms of retail, from retail and F&B and entertainment, leisure, culture, all parts of, sort of consumer experience. And I suppose the kind of basis of it is that retail has always been and will always be about four things. Recruitment, transaction, fulfillment and retention. What's really interesting is that the transaction and fulfillment piece is moving away from the physical space, where in retail, in physical retail, we have left then recruitment and retention. So if we're having a physical retail space to recruit and retain customers, then we, the retail space uh, is behaving more and more like a media brand. Of course, when it comes to coffee shops, There's always transaction in a coffee shop, but I think the idea of recruitment and retention is also really important and how in any given coffee shop you create experience and create interest and intrigue and connection and community immersion and community engagement that drives recruitment and retention. Ibrahim, thanks very much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Jeff, thank you so much and thanks for having me. Really a pleasure. So Ibrahim thinks about brands in terms of four pillars and three types of experience. Just to recap, they were one, making transactions frictionless, two, creating an immersive brand story, three, achieving localness, and four, communicating a set of values that people feel a sense of belonging to. On top of this, he overlays three pillars of experience, physical space, digital space, and the human experience, which all manifest as rituals. And you know when you've got it right, as Ibrahim says, when your customers and your local community feel that they own your brand. Now let's explore how two successful coffee operators have gone about answering the questions. What do I stand for? And how can I express that brand through everything my customers perceive? We start with former US barista champion Kyle Glanville, founder and CEO of Go Get'em Tiger and GNB Coffee, 
Carl's early career was spent at Intelligentsia, and in 2012, Carl partnered with another US barista champion, Charles Babinski, together opening up the first of 10 cafes. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, it's great to be here. How do you describe your brand? What are the elements and pillars of Go Get Em Tiger? I think our intention always has been to deliver truly great coffee to a wider audience and to continually try to perfect the coffee ritual. Go Get Em Tiger was designed, you know, it, it really sprung from the heart in a lot of ways. And so it's hard for me to like reverse engineer exactly what the choices were, but it really sprung from this notion of accessibility and fun. And even the name Go Get Em Tiger for us, it really spoke to how the coffee ritual fits into your day. It's the thing you do before the thing you do, right? Mm. Like it doesn't matter really who you are. If you're a coffee drinker, you're going to go give a speech to the UN. You're going to drink coffee first. If you're going to go compete in a cycling race, you're going to drink coffee first. You're going to go perform brain surgery. You're going to drink coffee first. Go get them, Tiger, I should clarify. It's a throwback American phrase. It's dropped out of the lexicon. And how I imagine it is, it's something that a father would say to their child as they go out and go to school or launch on their day or something like that. And, and you'll notice we're very intentional about there, there are no tigers anywhere in our brand and there never will be as long as I'm the CEO of this company, because it really is not about the animal, the tiger. It really is just about that phrase and what it represents. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love it. It's sort of like that Obviously, we get it from the, all the movies and, as you said, the mm-hmm. father to a son or something, go get a tiger, go get him a tiger. Mm-hmm. So how do you rate your brand today versus when you set out? What, what elements have you improved upon? Yeah, I think what's interesting is we have more resources now, right? So resources for design and things like that. And we have a marketing person in our ranks and a small team of people, both internal and external, to help us execute. But I. I honestly still think we're at our best when we are speaking from the heart, when we're conversational with our customers, and when we're maybe not as slick, when we are, I think we try to present at not as much like a monolith and more a friend who is just an expert in this one thing and knows how to give you this one thing better than anybody else. Isn't it difficult for very high quality coffee not to be viewed as pretentious in the eyes of many customers? I think if people want to peek beneath the hood, we want them to feel welcome to do that. It's true that, you know, we show up and we test the water and we dial in our brews and we use the refractometer and we check the hardness and we check the bed and we do all the stuff that like, you know, I mean, I was going to say the most devoted cafes do, but I don't think that there's a lot of cafes that take the same measure of QC as we do on a daily basis. But we don't like lord that over people. I actually believe that if you are just genuine in your service and you're serving a truly exceptional offering, that people don't need to be told that it's exceptional. It will show. What makes it exceptional, again, is not just what's in the cup, that's a huge part. And that's something that we've got dialed in just from our experience. But it's also the little details about how you serve people, how you put the cup down on the counter, how you pour the filter coffee into the mug, how you take the same steps of service every time and how efficient 
you are with your movement and everything else, all those little details add up to the experience of quality. And so we want people to see that quality oozing from every pore. And we also want them to feel like they absolutely belong. So you're setting very high standards, certainly in coffee, in your store design, you know, the latest uh, additions are, you know, are really, really glamorous and enticing. So how do you manage those brand standards? What's the process you go through to make sure those standards are applying across your whole estate? I think that's something that I've really come around to in the last couple of years is that as a founder and CEO, you want to build the company around your strengths, set up the team and every way that you operate to complement what you're good at and also cover what you're not so great at. And when I took a big step back, you know, a couple of years ago, it sort of evaluated what my superpowers are. It came down to intuitive brand building, menu design, cafe and employee culture and recruiting and growth and brand stuff. So I think for now, I'm still the sort of way station for all brand choices. Like nothing happens outside of my purview. I still draft a lot of the sort of communications that we put out into the world. One thing that is a value for us is that we speak out on matters of social justice, even at the risk of blowback from our customers. And the metaphor that I've landed on of late is... Go Get Him Tiger is basically a band. Okay. <laughs> if I think of us as like a band and there's a lot of ways to do a band. You can you you can do focus groups and stuff like that. You you get the Backstreet Boys and that's one version of a band. It's not what we want to be. If you're sort of talking about commercial and artistic success, maybe we want to be more like Radiohead or Kendrick Lamar or you know some truly great artist all-time artist that is both successful artistically and commercially. And so in this sort of metaphor of the band, I'm the lead singer. And as the lead singer, I'm not also the tour manager. That's somebody else. And I'm not also the drummer. That's somebody else. And I might be the composer, but I might also work with a bunch of composers. And that's okay. We build the thing. We put it out into the world. We see if the thing that we like lands and works. If it doesn't, we go back and try it again. And by the way, in this band metaphor, I see our cafes as being like tours, basically. Like each cafe is a new tour. There's a new notion. There's a new stage. And I think that's really helped me wrap my head around how I want our brand and our product and all of our touch points to function. Like we, we need to continue to shoot from the hip and from the heart and take risks artistic risks, commercial risks, all of the above in order to remain relevant. And I think what happens to so many brands over time is they kind of lose their spine and they start doing more focus groups and they stop trusting that the thing that got them there is the thing that will carry them forward. And I try to remind myself not to do that every opportunity I get. And how operationally do you make sure that all the those brand standards are adhered to across the board. You know, you can't be in all places at one time. What are the metrics or what are the checkpoints that you've got in place that enable you to yeah. just make sure that it's on point all the time? So yeah, we have super clear QC standards and each store is evaluated in three different ways. 
at least weekly. There is the sort of peer evaluation where any member of the staff who visits a cafe will fill out like a light form about music, vibe, yeah. service, just like very qualitative, basically. Yeah. Then there's the sort of management QC, and that's when the director of cafe operations comes in and makes sure that the drains are clear and all the equipment is functional and the bathroom is looking spiffy and the lights function. And then we have finally the sort of drink and service quality where we actually have, again, a former barista who comes in and measures all the coffee outputs and scores the coffee quality and the tea quality and measures the speed of service and gives feedback on exactly what's happening in the service, measures the sound level of the music, ticket times and things like that. And all of that is factored into how we reward our managers at the end of each period and is as important an element of how we bonus folks as the P&L is. We also pay a lot of attention to the P&L. You know, I, I'm not really a money-focused person, but I do look at the P&L as sort of, it's like the scoreboard for how your service went over the last period. And things like revenue are impacted by how well you delivered service and delighted your customers and all those sort of things. Whereas like things like your labor cost and your cost of goods are an output of how well you managed your ordering and your scheduling. And so I think really rigorous QC standards that are constantly affirmed and reaffirmed and then holding people accountable to their P&Ls and making sure we do a post-mortem at the end of every period and evaluating what worked and what didn't. So what's next for Go Get em Tiger? We're opening a drive-through, which is really exciting. Talk about an opportunity to wow. do something weird. I'm excited to amp up the customer experience and bring all that delight to a drive through setting because drive throughs are dreary and they suck. They're kind of like the thing you do when you don't have time. And I want to make it great and I want to make it experiential. And so that's exciting. Carl, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. It has been my pleasure anytime. So Carl describes his mission as offering exceptional coffee while simultaneously giving his customers a sense of belonging. And he puts that mission into practice by crafting a ritualistic coffee experience. And it was fascinating to hear how his staff conduct regular surveys on their sites to keep that high quality experience and his brand on point. Now we're diving deep with Taylor Brown of TaylorMade on how branding and packaging can elevate a coffee business. Her coffee bags, cafes, even the website pop with pinks and squidgy swirls, a real treat for the eyes. Now 34, Taylor began her coffee journey at the tender age of 13 in rural Australia. And her employers read as a list of who's who of specialty coffee globally. St. Ali and Seven Seeds in Melbourne, Kutum in Paris, and Tim Wendelblow in Oslo. In 2019, she launched her own solo coffee and donut brand, TaylorMade, with a bakery and roasting operation, and is now about to open her fourth store in Oslo. Welcome to Fifth Wave, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I wonder if you walk us through the process of creating that brand. Is it evolutionary or is it completely clear from the outset of what you're going to be making? I think that's a really good question because I think that when you're building something, I think you have to give up this idea that your vision is going to be exactly what you set out 
for it to be because time changes things, circumstance changes things. I think like from 2016 when I launched the first roastery to now, I think that product and packaging and the way that the specialty coffee community communicates to the outside community has changed so radically. So you've got to be like flexible all the time. And that's one thing that I actually built into both of the brands that I started is this ability to evolve and be flexible with the time because you don't want to paint yourself into a corner. So the way that it worked, and I think I would encourage this route to anyone creating a new business, is to invest in your branding and in your product identity, because you want to be very clear to the person who is buying what you're selling, who you are, what you are, and what you stand for. So I put the word out and I said, you know, do I know anybody who is in the design community? But I had actually met this guy named Christian. We'd done this thing called Food Studio together. And yeah, they just invited me and Jürgen in for a meeting just to pitch who they were and what they could do. And I I communicated very much what I wanted to make, which was something that was approachable. The whole premise behind what the packaging and what we've done is that I want the customer to walk up to the shelf and take something from the shelf feeling confident that is what they're going to get without any help from a person in service. The help is supplementary and can improve the experience, but give the, co- the, cost, the customer the confidence to make the decision at the shelf themselves. Because when I was working at Wendelboe, I would see all the time, you know, someone would walk up to the retail shelf, I'd walk over to them and say, hey, how can I help you? And they were just struggling with lack of confidence because none of the information on the bags meant anything to the average person. They don't know anything about cultivars or farmers or countries like this information is not relevant to them but I I learned from those interactions over the years that I need to almost make our product like it would be sitting on a supermarket shelf you know when you walk into the supermarket the product tells you what it is and it tells you how it works and you feel confident buying it without having someone there to hold your hand and I wanted to make a brand and a product that communicated without words, basically. But yeah, the cornerstone of the brand identity is its ability to evolve. So if you take a look at our website and also the coffee packaging, you can see that the text itself is like malleable. It flows. It's kind of got the gooiness of the icing on a donut, but it's also malleable and flexible and it evolves and changes. In the first iteration of the packaging, we used to do illustrations that mapped out the history of the company. So the first boxes had an illustration of Jürgen and I, the coffee roaster, my cat, the people who were investing on us. There's an image of all of those people on the box and it used to get shipped to people's houses with that image. This this is who we are. And then every time that the team changed, we commissioned another illustrator to update the illustration to reflect where we were at the time in terms of our business. So from there, we took the essence of that and have these beautiful boxes and we changed the foil, the holographic foil that's on the box. Every now and then we periodically change it so that it's just constantly being updated. It's not static. It kind of evolves and changes over time. I think that if you want to build a company, or a brand that is going to evolve and grow and be better. You can't just base it 
I think one person can have the creative control of the direction, but, you know, you want to bring in people who specialise in these things so that it can be as best as possible. Uh, And, you know, they know things that I don't know. It's all about understanding that you might not be the best at everything and relying upon others to do what they do best. Yeah, I recommend it to anyone to put that in your budget of having a good collaboration with a good design firm who knows what they're doing. How important do you feel the actual creation of your brand identity and the success of your brand is down to the design? Oh, I feel like you can't really have one without the other because, you know, I'd, I'd built my professional relationship over decades, you know. It's like 21 years in the industry and I had really worked hard for that reputation. Like I've busted my ass working more than full-time for my whole career. But the thing is, is that I needed to reach outside of the community that I'd created who knew of my expertise. I think with specialty, I think it's not the same anymore, but certainly when I started the company, there was this idea of the smaller you are and the more niche you are, the higher quality that you are. And my, uh, the way that I look at things is that specialty can only be successful if we appeal to people outside of the people who enjoy specialty. I sat in Starbucks Reserve in Milan recently and I looked at the amount of people who were coming in those doors and I thought to myself, these are the people who are going to have the impact that specialty coffee wants to have. So, yeah, like I had to build a brand that was recognisable outside of my own personal niche expertise and that's kind of the idea of TaylorMade is, is that, you know, quality and commercialism aren't mutually exclusive. And I think creating a really strong brand identity and creating really beautiful packaging and something iconic that, you know, when, when people see the, the boxes of coffee on a shelf, they, they walk up to it and they pick it up and they grab it and they're like, I don't know what this is, but I want to buy it because it's beautiful. And that's the whole idea of what I wanted to create is that like it's magnetic. You're drawn to it because it's so interesting and colorful and beautiful. And yeah, that's like design and branding and all of those things. You you can't have one without the other. Just to summarize, the secrets to building an amazing brand. In essence, have a clear vision about what it is that you want to communicate, who you are, what you want to do, how you are going to improve someone's life or someone's day. A lot of brands, they're aspirational. So what does buying your product make someone feel? Or what does buying your product do for somebody? Have a clear vision of that. Uh, Work with professionals who can help you communicate that and create a brand or a product that has shares that vision and communicates that vision well. Think about what you're making and what you're doing and what your actions, how that communicates without words. Final question, your favourite donut? A cinnamon sugar straight out of the fryer, pairing it with a cappuccino. It will never go out of style. It's the most delicious thing in the world. Amazing. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you. Taylor offered many great insights and answered important questions every coffee shop operator should be asking themselves. When someone buys your product, how does it make them feel? How do you communicate what you're doing without words? And why are you doing what you're doing in the first place? 
As Taylor says, if you're passionate about the mission you're on, it will come through in your brand and your customers will feel it. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to The Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Link is in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song, in collaboration with The Coffee Music Project, is Hot Coffee by Say No More and Nutty P. And until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. He's up there with his cap on, wishing to be home with his wife or relaxing, fishing. Blue oceans in his mind's eye, he's a simple man, he's that kind of guy. No luxuries like your MP3 HD TV, 50 inch widescreen. No luxuries like your Xbox, please. If you want to see scenes on your DVD, then you gotta work like my man Bob on the scene. Little bit of graft, tough task, ain't a dream. Then you get your paycheck, see your eyes gleam. Cash money, bank like points in the league. Cash money, bank check for you and for me. Think about this, it's not easy to see. I can't get enough I'm feeling a rush Winning is a must It gives me a fuss On mine every day It's the only way And I can't get enough I can't get enough Cause it's a work day and you're needing that caffeine To get you up, get you out, get you happy Lively and young so you're bouncing, snappy But spare a thought though for my man Bob When he's out on that farm working like a dog I can't get enough